Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth.
Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Welcome to the Secret Teachings radio broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you for joining us this evening, this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world as we broadcast on the Fringe FM. That's thefringe.fm. The network website, fringe.fm. The free Fringe FM app is available for download. Again, that is a free application to download. You can send shout-outs into the network with that app. Some other cool features. You can listen to us on TalkStream Live and on the Paranormal Radio app. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The same time each night after Lighting the Void. If you missed any of our previous broadcasts, If you'd like to listen to the show at a more convenient time, you can always go to the website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to the show archive. You can subscribe weekly, which a lot of people do that, so they can consistently support the show $5 a week, or they do it monthly for $10, or for the best deal, $50 for one year. It's a real bargain because you get access to the archive, the montages, my digital books that you can also download, and a physical copy of one of my books, your choice, with free shipping in the U.S., all part of that one-year subscription. When you subscribe, you really, honestly, sincerely, truly support this show. You are the thing, other than my obsessive dedication, that keeps us on air Monday through Friday. And for those of you who have bought a book, who have subscribed, or for those of you who have gone over to Patreon and become patrons, we're still growing that Patreon page. Thank you so much. You allow me to do this show. And if you enjoy this show and you really, really love the types of things we talk about, you can thank yourself because you are the reason that we are on air. So thank you very, very much. I can't express how grateful I am because of you. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. I had a realization of something that I'd like to share with you tonight. And maybe you've heard me mention it on another show. And I thought that it was so important, so significant, We could start off an entirely brand new show on the subject. As some of you know, that uh, hopefully within the next month, I'll be uh, escaping New York and I will be moving to the Southwest, a place that I've always felt very drawn to. I lived in the Southwest a couple of years ago. There's a long story behind that, but I moved to New York to be with my son, Fox, and... uh, 
was a justifiable and a good move. But I miss the Southwest. I miss the the atmosphere, the environment. I miss the desert. Plus, late night desert radio. How can you beat that? That's just that's where it's at. But before I moved to the Southwest, I had lived in Idaho. And Idaho was a state that I knew very little about. I didn't know anything about Idaho except for those, you know, proverbial potatoes. And I knew about the blue football field for the uh, Boise State University football team. And that's pretty much it. And I kind of moved to Idaho from St. Pete, Florida on a whim. And uh, I lived there for over three years, close to four years, I think, three, three, four years. And um, I kind of fell in love with Idaho. I really liked the, uh, the fact that Idaho was pretty much laid back politically. Uh, the city of Boise was superbly clean, um, hardly any crime. And, uh, I mean, the temperature fluctuates from 100 degrees in the summer to like zero degrees in the winter. Uh, but most of the rest of the year, it's very nice there. And I lived in Boise, uh, just outside of the city. For I actually lived right across the street from the blue football field. Um, that was my only landmark. That's the only thing I knew there. I lived uh, in that same apartment for the whole the whole entire time I lived there. And uh, I didn't know that Idaho had a really incredible history of things like nuclear technology and UFOs. Nobody told me that. I never heard that on a radio show, on a documentary. You know, all I know is, you know, Area 51 and Roswell and Area 52. And all I've heard is the same story or the same stories over and over and over again. And I didn't know that just outside of Boise, Idaho, is an incredible history that very few people know. And very few people who do know have told that story. I mean, there's a museum just outside of uh, Boise, and maybe that's not the right way to put it because it's a couple of hours outside of Boise, but if you drive southeast from Boise, you'll come across the EBR-1 Atomic Museum. You'll come across Arco, Idaho, and Atomic City. And if you've never heard of these places, you might want to type them in and learn a little bit about what they are. Arco City, it's a very, very, very small city, as is Atomic City. These are cities that are associated with uh, nuclear history in the United States. Uh, and also, not just in the United States, but uh, around the world. Uh, why? Well, because they are essentially the Rachel Nevada of the Idaho Area 51. And that is, again, a history that has not been lost. It's just not really been told. And, um, you know, it's interesting because when you look at what was done out in this part of the country and you look at what's still being done in that part of the country due to contamination and radiation, it, it, it makes you question why this part of the country has the highest per capita 
according to reports that I've read, the highest per capita of UFO sightings of anywhere in the United States. There's something else out there in the southeast of Idaho called the Idaho National Laboratory. That's where it all went down. Of course, some of you know that the Department of Energy runs countless government projects. and The Department of Energy became very famous because of Stranger Things. And furthermore, due to the fact that a couple of years ago, a story came out, this is in 2019, that scientists were attempting to open a portal to a parallel universe, and they were doing this at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Of course, Oak Ridge is one of the three major laboratories that were part of the Manhattan Project, including Hanford, Washington, and Los Alamos, where the famous Robert Oppenheimer ran the show. So when you start to look at uh, these national laboratories, you find... If you didn't already know about Los Alamos, that's a very famous one. You find that there's also an interesting history. And the interesting history of these national laboratories parallels and goes right alongside of these little cities like Atomic City and Arco that uh, were at the heart of the nuclear energy, of the nuclear development uh, inception. 50-something nuclear reactors, they say 50 official, 50 nuclear reactors, including the EBR-1 reactor, were designed and built at the Idaho site. Until I had driven out there, I had never heard of this place. I've actually talked to other radio hosts who have never heard of this place. And uh, that, to me, I went around and I asked a bunch of people, And uh, I was wondering why so many of these people I knew who I thought, you know, would have, um, you know, a knowledge of something like this just did not know. Um, And uh, that surprised me. And I thought, there's something more to this. So I read that, you know, Idaho has the most UFO sightings per capita in the United States. And I wonder why. I thought perhaps it's because of the Idaho National Laboratory where nuclear energy was birthed. And maybe you don't know this, or maybe you need a little refresher course like I did, but the curiosity that unidentified craft have had with nuclear technology dates back to the detonation of the first atomic bombs in the 1940s. And during the Cold War, the passive interest of UFOs turned direct when they began violating, first of all, finding, let alone violating, sensitive airspace, shutting down or activating, in some cases, nuclear warheads. UFOs have also altered the uh, integrity of ICBM tests, one of those tests very famously. So it would seem that, regardless of what we call the phenomena, that whatever this thing is that it is intent on monitoring and even directly interfering in the development and usage of nuclear technologies. And so I go back to the Idaho National Lab. And, you know, the way I found out about this place was it was back in 2018, uh, roughly around 2018. And uh, I went to, um, I decided to go to see the eclipse 
And uh, a friend of mine was going to be passing through town, uh, Brad Olson, uh, the author and uh, researcher and world traveler. And uh, he stopped by the uh, apartment in Boise, and he, he spent the night there. And we decided to go out, and we were going to go see the eclipse. And so we came back, and uh, I had been getting uh, messages from, uh, from Ron Patton about, a, um, about an event uh, out at the uh, E. Seti Ranch. And I had thought, eh, I don't really, I don't know if I really want to drive out there. And Brad kept saying, come on, let's go, go to the ranch. We'll go, we'll go to Portland and we'll, you know, we'll do Clyde's show. And I thought, I, I don't know if I really want to go. And it was that night. I just, I, I, I went to the store while Brad was doing a radio show and I was actually asked to do the same radio show. It was uh, Jimmy Church and I, I didn't want to do it. Um, Jimmy didn't really want me to do it. I don't think either, but I, uh, I decided, no, I don't want to do that, Brad. You can use my studio, and I just, I'm just going to go to the store. And when I was at the store, I was looking through stuff, and I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go to East City. I'm going to go back to Portland. I'll go and, go and Clyde again, and uh, I'll have a good time. And uh, I thought that that would be you know, the highlight, uh, along with the eclipse, of um, you know, that, that whole trip, that whole experience. And uh, it, it was, but there was a, another highlight that I just kind of filed in the back of my brain. When, when Brad and I were driving back from the eclipse, we drove right past the Idaho National Laboratory. And um, a couple of days later, I, when I got back from Portland, I started to research it and I realized, oh my God, there's like an incredible history here. Um, you know, when you look at uh, what they did, out there in Arco, from the testing of nuclear reactors, they'll tell you, to the uh, hatching of ideas like nuclear-powered planes and nuclear-powered cars, the largest non-nuclear explosion took place out at the INL in that area. And, you know, if you pick up a little, you know, museum paper, a little museum pamphlet like I have, it's just all fun. It's like home of tiny atoms and big ideas. The EBR one atomic museum, the Idaho desert birthplace of rattlesnakes and nuclear power. But then you go out there and if you can find the access road on the main road going out there, you could find, you know, little tiny things that the government has set up as little, little reminders of what they did out there. Like the largest non-nuclear explosion up until that point. And, you know, the, the different kinds of experiments and nuclear-powered cars and nuclear-powered planes. It's all official stuff. It's not like somebody went and, you know, put a sandwich in a black mailbox like out at Rachel. Uh, it's like just government stuff, historical society stuff. And that just blew my mind. So I started to research more, and I found out, well, there's a shady, there's a shady history of the INL. So I've kind of termed INL the Area 51 of Idaho, and Arco and Atomic City are kind of like the Rachel of Idaho's Area 51. And it just so happens to be that Idaho has the highest per capita UFO reports, UFO sightings in the United States. And in wondering why that is, I thought, well, it's probably got something to do with the history of nuclear technology and the fact that they're storing, according to reports, a lot of the nuclear material from Hanford, Washington, out in southeast Idaho. Maybe that's why the UFOs are popping up in Idaho. 
Just a theory, just an idea, but we're going to go into more detail tonight on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. The music tonight, White Bat Audio, www.thesecretteachings.info. Stay with us. We'll be back. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is The Secret Teachings Radio on The Fringe FM. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit the website, thesecretteachings.info, and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of Ryan's books. The show offers weekly and monthly subscriptions, or for $50 a year, get access to the archive, montages, and digital books at a discounted price. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the donate button at the top of the page. Your subscription supports The Secret Teachings, The Fringe FM, and you. Alex Exum. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, and like my show, I like to associate with people and companies who are passionate about taking steps to a healthier life. Pro One Water Filters brings you simple-to-use systems for the home, business, and even the shower. They filter fluoride, heavy metals, and more, and their shower heads stop chlorine from being vaporized and inhaled. I personally use their systems now for five years, and they're worth every penny sincerely. Our other affiliate, US Plus Health, is a small American company specializing in hydrogen peroxide solutions, isopropyl alcohol, and hand sanitizers with no additional ingredients like ethanol, chloride, or methanol. They use 100% U.S. materials at an FDA-registered facility. Their simple, non-toxic formulations are both safe and gentle. They evaporate quickly and leave no residue or stickiness. They're even recommended by the CDC, FDA, and WHO as opposed to other toxic chemicals like QACs. Find links to these affiliates, Pro One Water Filters, and U.S. Plus Health on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info for links, or visit usplushealth.com and type in the promo code TSTCLEAN. Do you want to know more about this strange and weird reality we live in? Join me, Jess Rogie, the host of The Rogie Report, where we explore the unrevealed. Every Wednesday night, live at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your host, Ryan Gable. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, and I want to share something astounding with you. It's no mistake that Delta equals four numerically, and that with its three sides equals seven, the number of revelations that heralds the apocalypse to build a new kingdom on the ashes of the old. The new kingdom is not firstly God's, though. 
but a false prophet who will be crowned, the Corona. His kingdom is seven years long, but it's cut in half. Delta means change and authority and conveys a deep meaning in holding the eye of God and his infallible name Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton. It's no mistake CG images of SARS-CoV-2 have little triangles or that Delta waves place people into a diseased, unstable state of mind. It's no mistake the biggest global conspiracy is one of depopulation, that its logo is supposedly a triangle, and that Delta extracted from the Norse Volknut means fertility. These are the patterns that we see in the observations that we make on the Secret Teachings Radio, five nights a week broadcasting on the Fringe FM. For more information, check out thesecretteachings.info or email us rdgable at yahoo.com. I'm Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. Idaho, the state of potatoes, as most people know, it's also the state of the most UFO sightings per capita in the United States. Why? Well, perhaps it's because of the INL, the Idaho National Laboratory, where nuclear energy was birthed. In fact, Idaho has something in common with Japan. Japan has a history of obviously being the first country to be nuked by an adversary. Hiroshima on August 6th of 45 and August 9th, Nagasaki of the same year, a few days after the Hiroshima bombing. That same nuclear technology was partly developed in Idaho. The city of Arco, Idaho is the first peacetime city, first peacetime use of nuclear power, occurred at Arco, Idaho, when the EBR-1, the Experimental Breeder Reactor, near Arco, Idaho, was activated in December of 1951, the first city in the world to be lit by atomic power from the nearby reactor. And of course, Atomic City is not too Far away, Atomic City, in 1961, became the home of uh, one of the first nuclear incidences other than a direct nuclear explosion as a test or as an act of aggression and war. When a nuclear reactor the size of a small silo exploded in the Idaho desert. The Idaho National Laboratory has been responsible for not only the development of nuclear power and the construction of dozens of nuclear plants over the years, but the INL is essentially credited with making atomic energy a manufacturable thing. And I thought perhaps that's the reason why Idaho has the most UFO sightings per capita. Furthermore, the reason I think that is because UFOs have been very curious about nuclear technology dating back to the detonation of the first atomic bombs. Dating back to the Trinity test on June 16th of 1945. Dating back to the detonation of the Soviet nuclear bomb. And it's interesting because when you look at the history of nuclear technology... It's something that even the scientists who were working on these projects were very concerned with. 
whether it was the atomic bomb codenamed the test, Trinity, or it was the hydrogen bomb that Oppenheimer refused to build, and Oppenheimer actually had his government credentials removed because he said he's not going to participate in building building another weapon of mass destruction, essentially. And at the time when the hydrogen bomb was detonated, uh, a lot of the people that worked on the project and some of the soldiers that were in the, the bunkers miles away thought that the bomb was going to essentially, they thought that it could, and they thought that during the explosion that it was going to just engulf the planet. The explosion was much more powerful than they thought. It was much more, uh, it was much more uh, wide-ranging than they thought. It was much more powerful than they thought, and they, they felt that it was just going to consume, a lot of the soldiers thought it was going to consume their, their bunkers that they were in miles and miles and miles away. Um, it was a very scary test detonation. And, of course, they did that in the ocean. Uh, the Trinity test wasn't done in the ocean. It was done at, uh, outside uh, of White Sands, New Mexico, near uh, Alamogordo. And, of course, they have the, uh, the little site out there you can go visit uh, during certain times of the year. It's probably closed now. And I think you have to get a, uh, cleared by the federal government to even go out there to see the location. But it's an, it's an eerie history. I mean, obviously, looking at a nuclear bomb detonate, whether it's you know a computer-generated version of it or it's the real thing, it's it's a scary thing to behold. And I don't really think that anybody could look at a nuclear reactor generating power and think just based on Chernobyl or Three Mile Island or little tiny incidences like the one that happened in the 1960s at Atomic City. I don't think anybody could say that's not dangerous. And I don't see how world leaders can suggest as we've seen at recent summits, that nuclear technology is the way to go. I think that's quite preposterous. I think that nuclear technology is the thing that we should be moving away from, not into. You know, they tried to develop nuclear-powered cars and nuclear-powered planes, things that you would see in the video game Fallout, you know, when you shoot the engine and it blows up with a small little mushroom cloud. And throughout the history of nuclear technology, uh, nuclear technological development, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, reactors at INL or it's um, the development of the atomic bomb at Hanford and Los Alamos and Oak Ridge, you, you find that UFOs are really, really interested in these, in these atomic bombs. You find that they're really interested in nuclear technology in general. In 1949, it was a handful of years after the Trinity test and after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I maintain from my research, and I put this in my book, The Technological Elixir, that that bomb dropped on Hiroshima was not an American bomb, that that bomb dropped on Hiroshima was the result of German engineering, and ironically, perhaps even Japanese engineering, but particularly German engineering, it was part of an agreement, part of a deal, an exchange between German high command and the U.S. government, but that's another show, another topic. It's also in my book. If you'd like to get a copy of the Technological Elixir, you can read that for yourself, www.thesecretteachings.info. But the Soviets, they tested, you know, a nuclear bomb in the late 1940s, and uh, 
there have been reports of UFOs from the United States testing and uh, manufacturing facilities for these types of weapons all the way to the Soviet Union. So both sides of the world. And there were also tests, you know, in 1952 for the hydrogen bomb that were supposedly reportedly accompanied also by unidentified objects. Now, it's funny because a magazine called Look published an article decades ago called Hunt for the Flying Saucers. And it was reporting on a U.S. Air Force investigation that was kind of secret into around 800 UFO reports. And this report in Look Magazine had a map from the Air Force showing supposed UFO sightings and how they all seem to be aligned with atomic energy installations. Think about that for a second. Think about what that implies. From nuclear weapons tests to atomic energy installations, it seems like UFOs from the very beginning, from the Trinity test, have been paying attention to what humans are doing on planet Earth. Building weapons of mass destruction, dropping them on each other as we did on Japan, and then continuing to develop even more powerful weapons, but not use them. You want to see something real scary, look up the Tsar bomb that the Russians built. Holy hell, that thing... I think the mushroom cloud reached into almost into space. The thing, I read that that thing was so big, so powerful, that if it were to be detonated, for example, over, over France, um, the entire city of Paris would have been the epicenter, would have been ground zero. It, it wouldn't have been, you know, a small area. That's how large this bomb was. And from what I read, even the Russians were like, all right, we need to scale this back. This is insane because this thing was, I mean, they, they don't tell you about that in school. They don't tell you about the czar bomb in school. That thing was massive. And you can actually find like this video of it, first of all, but you can find like uh, little graphs that show you how big the czar bomb was in comparison with uh, 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 the Bravo bomb or in comparison with Hiroshima uh, or uh the Trinity test. Because Hiroshima, I think, was a little bit smaller than Trinity. But the Tsar bomb was just absolutely massive. Massive bomb. Just in- incredible. And it's well-known history. It's just not something that we're really taught. So in the 1960s, something interesting happened. Vandenberg Air Force Base. The military in the United States was testing an ICBM. Intercontinental Ballistic Missile. These ICBMs would have cut down the rate of time it took to initiate and launch an attack on the Soviet Union and to strike the Soviet Union. It would have cut that time down from a bomber having to fly to the target, something that would have taken up to 12 hours to deliver the payload, and it could reduce the time to about 30 minutes. 
So that's a substantial reduction. You could strike the Soviet Union, you could strike the enemy within a matter of minutes, essentially within a matter of seconds in comparison with the hours it would take to take the uh, the bomb loaded on the plane if they did keep them preloaded to you know, get the flight crew on the plane, take off, fly to the destination, depending on where the, the planes were stationed, it would have been a much longer ordeal. And, um, you know, obviously there's a chance of various, uh, I think a larger chance of various, you know, failures on a mission like that. But you wouldn't even have to send, send soldiers on this mission. You just have somebody push a button, which also takes the human element out of war. As well, of course, especially when you're dealing with nuclear weapons. But, you know, the ICBM that was launched at Vandenberg Air Force Base, something really interesting happened. They launched this thing and uh, an Air Force uh, 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 soldier, um, I believe I think he was a lieutenant. He had set up a camera, a very light sensitive camera um, miles and miles away from where this ICBM test was going to take place to film it, to see, you know, what was happening and to have a record for the military. And when the film was developed and it was um, viewed, they saw something else in the film. They saw a UFO, some kind of unidentified flying object, a UAP, if that makes you feel more comfortable. But it looked, it looked like a flying disc. It, it looked like an actual flying disc, according to reports. Yeah, not just a flying saucer in, in the traditional sense, because all UFOs don't look like that. But this disc, it flew next to the ICBM, which was carrying a dummy warhead. It was just a test. And this thing was traveling at 11,000 miles an hour. And it shed its first, second, and third stages. And then this UFO pops into frame. And the reports are that it looks like the object had beamed something at the ICBM. And that this, this object at 11,000 miles an hour, nonetheless, flawlessly, effortlessly, just circled around the ICBM at different points. And then the object moves away, and after what amounted to a perfect launch, perfect separation of the first few stages of the, of the ICBM, the whole test fails. And the CIA was really concerned, so the CIA steps in, they view the film, and then the film disappears. And um, according to military records, that was never disputed that it happened. There's just no record of the tape. And, you know, let's say that that was made up. That's just a totally fictitious story. Why would the Air Force make that story up? Why would the Air Force fabricate a story about an object that made their high technology useless. I mean, that is why the CIA probably stepped in to begin with, because it became a national security threat when a secretive and advanced technology like an ICBM, which could revolutionize warfare and could also be the the one key component to striking the Soviet Union before they could strike us if the Cold War were to turn hot, why would they make a story like that up? So for those of you who might think that the Air Force fabricated that story, 
I don't think so. I think it was something that happened that was not anticipated. Nobody thought a UFO was going to fly alongside of the ICBM. And I think that the Air Force maybe was okay with, uh, you know, the myth being out there because it would it would kind of take away from the fact that the uh, missile failed. And maybe it failed because of a UFO. Maybe it failed because of human error. Could have failed because, be, you know, because of either either thing or something else. Um, but the idea that a UFO stopped this ICBM and, and, it, and it failed isn't really a one-off. Because as I documented a little bit ago, Idaho has the highest per capita UFO sighting reports than you know any state in the United States. And Idaho is the home of nuclear technology, nuclear reactors. And a lot of nuclear material is stored there at the Idaho National Lab, just outside of Arco and Atomic City. Atomic City was put on the map back in the 50s and 60s. It's known because a nuclear reactor exploded out there. And Arco is on the map because it was the first city to be powered by atomic energy, at least officially. And, um, you know, this was, this was a really incredible history that's kind of been lost out there in Idaho. But it might just be a, it might just be a coincidence that Idaho has all these UFO sightings. Or it could be part of a larger thread. Like, for example, in 1949, when the Soviets tested their nuclear bomb, UFOs were witnessed. UFOs were over the facility where they manufactured this, this bomb. In 1952, tests for the hydrogen bomb reportedly were accompanied by UFOs. I wasn't there, but this is what I'm getting out of history. And, of course, Look Magazine published a story, Hunt for the Flying Saucers, an Air Force investigation into around 800 UFO reports, where they showed a map of UFO sightings and atomic energy installations, you know, kind of like the Idaho National Lab. And then Vandenberg Air Force Base, they have this test of the ICBM, and the UFO alongside of it at 11,000 miles an hour. And the test fails. And then we go on from there. We go to Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota has an interesting story associated with it in relation to UFOs. That story is that in 1968... An unidentified flying object was instrumental in removing the lid, the covering, of a nuclear missile silo. That's a really strange story. That's physical intervention by one of these objects. Or perhaps the most famous and perhaps the most disturbing story in the history of nuclear technology and UFOs. And that is the Maelstrom Nuclear Facility in Montana in 1967. Ten nuclear missiles were at this station. And it's, it's very remote. It's in the middle of nowhere. 
And this object came over the installation, kind of monitored the installation. It, it came up to the gate. And there were reports from down inside of the bunker that there was an object um, outside above the installation. And um, after a little while, the nuclear missiles, each one on its own system, each one individual, you know, each one has its own, you know, set of codes and wires and all that. All 10, one would be incredible, but all 10 were deactivated and shut down. And each one is on its own network, essentially. It would be virtually impossible to deactivate one remotely. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten nuclear missiles. And this is official military history. Ten nuclear missiles were deactivated by what can only be described as an unidentified flying object. And a very similar story happened in the Ukraine in 1982 when Soviet missiles were not deactivated. They were put into their pre-launch sequence by an unidentified flying object. And the scientists and those that were working at the facility in the Ukraine thought that this was going to be based on an accident or based on some glitch, the beginning of a nuclear Armageddon. And they were scrambling, reportedly, to f figure out why these missiles went into pre-launch. Nobody gave an order. Nobody turned a key. But there was a UFO, perhaps multiple UFOs, at the site in the Ukraine. If you go back a couple of years, in 1980, I believe it was, uh, UFOs were seen over the Woodbridge Air Force Base over their nuclear depot. So what does this tell us? This tells us that unidentified flying objects have a very strong interest in nuclear development, in nuclear technology, whether it's a nuclear reactor or in the detonation of atomic bombs. UFOs have also been seen at NASA launches, not of nuclear bombs and you know, missiles, but of rocket ships, of spaceships, the space shuttle. There are reports of UFOs around space capsules. In fact, if you read Alien Agenda by Jim Mars, he documents that there was an unidentified flying object that had followed the Apollo 13 capsule. And some UFO researchers speculate that the capsule, as it was on its way back to Earth, was only on its way back to Earth due to mission failure due to UFO intervention in preventing that crew from landing on the moon, in preventing that crew from doing what they were, they were sent up into space to do. So if any of that is even kind of true, it would indicate to us that unidentified flying objects don't just have an interest in nuclear technology, uh, in nuclear weapons. They have actively physically been involved in deactivating those weapons and in monitoring human manned missions into space, almost acting as custodians or guardians to the human race. 
Now, that leads us into further speculation of why that is. We can come up with these fanciful ideas about about you know the Anunnaki, we can think about things like um, you know uh, maybe uh, it's kind of like um, these are machines, these are robots, these are androids, and they're they're monitoring the planet to make sure that humans don't do something really stupid that affects others, and it's kind of like a quarantine, and, and these things that deactivate the nuclear missiles that monitor ICBM launches. Uh, even if they're test launches, these are just, you know, they're kind of like guardian bots. They're, they're like security guards. They just kind of keep things, you know, in check. So there's that idea. Uh, there's the general idea that a lot of these um, UFO sightings and a lot of these encounters with these objects, especially by the military, um, that we're dealing with an intelligence that's there, that's active, that's, you know, maybe in the ship. Um, and they've come for whatever reason and however they knew they've come to these secret installations. They've they've uh, in, interfered or they've they've um, found, uh, you know, secretive military uh, installations, secretive military uh, experiments, uh, military drills. Um, and then they they are, there's an incursion. That's the word that they the military keeps using. There's an incursion. They. They actively, uh, essentially, engage with the military, uh, with with planes, with with jets, with uh, you know rockets, with missiles. So obviously, there's something more going on here than a, a one-off. And in fact, yesterday, the 19th of October, 2021, a report mostly overlooked by the media, a number of Air Force veterans got together in Washington D.C. One of them was video conferenced in from the Ozark Mountains in Missouri, they got together at the National Press Club and they told their stories, having worked in the Air Force. And uh, their stories are some of the things that we've talked about tonight and some of the things we're going to expand on later in the broadcast. Military.com reported this. Air Force veterans who are UFO true believers return to newly attentive Washington. I assume the newly attentive Washington is because of the Earlier this year, UAP report that didn't really tell us much of anything. Uh, the story of uh, David Schindel and Robert Salas, two of the probably most memorable stories of atomic incursion, as I call it. But I mean, even the headline of this article from Military.com, UFO True Believers, as if it's, it's supposed to be derogatory to demean and discredit these Air Force veterans before they even get a chance to speak before you even get to hear what they have to say. And I also found it interesting in this article, they refer to the uh, Condon report, to the Condon report, which was a U.S. government-sponsored UFO st uh, study conducted in the 1960s between 66 and 68 under the direction of Edward U. Condon. And the report found that a lot of sightings, they, they specifically looked at things, for example, like the uh, Zond Four, which uh, began its re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, breaking apart in 1968. It was a Russian spacecraft. They found a lot of people kind of embellished and reported that they saw something that wasn't there, but a lot of people didn't. And that's what's perhaps most important. The committee uh, for the, the uh, report 
They said that, in summary, we have a number of reports that are highly consistent with one another, and those differences that do occur are no greater than would be expected from situational and perceptual differences. Many small discrepancies could be pointed out, especially with regard to estimates of distance and direction, but those are not great enough to affect the overall impression of the event. Despite that, in the Military.com article, they say, well, the Air Force investigated this in the 1960s, and they, quote, found no evidence to support the claims of what these Air Force personnel said, and they recommended against further studies. Well, that's not even exactly what the Dunn report said, so they're wrong again, and this is just how the media obscures, obfuscates, and attempts to divert public attention, even when they do report on something. And this isn't even really the military, uh, the, the, the media. This is the military reporting this, military.com. Uh, there's hardly any media attention on this. And these guys actually got together in 2010 for the same type of conference at the National Press Club. And, of course, very little attention was on that outside of UFO you know, circles. So, again, there's obviously something more going on here. And... Uh, there's obviously more than just an individual isolated event or story. And that's what really irritates me about the opposition, as if there should be opposition to any scientific phenomena. The opposition to uh, research and investigation like this. Because if you, were to, if you were to tell somebody, well, you know that UFOs are seen next to space shuttle launches and missile tests and nuclear bombs that were detonated, nuclear missile facilities, uh, you know, nuclear reactors, etc. You know, most people would say, well, that's just like a one-off. You know, that's just something unidentified. And, but it's like, this is, this is a story that's coming from the military. I mean, these are highly trained, most of them, say not all of them, but these are usually highly trained uh, men and women that are, and if especially if it's the Air Force, they're they're trained in aviation. They know what planes look like. They know, you know, what they have in the sky. And, you know, with the exception that sometimes maybe there are secretive projects and programs that are run by the military and they run them in front of trained professionals who can't identify them to see if, you know, you know, Air Force personnel can, you know, if they're going to report this strange object and you know, kind of things that are happening in the military, things that are happening in the Air Force that only like 10 people know, like the Manhattan Project, just experimental craft. Maybe that is happening, and it probably is happening. But unless the military is intentionally manufacturing all of these stories, and the Soviet Union was manufacturing these stories, I don't see what else it could be. It clearly indicates that there's some form of intelligence Maybe it's human. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's some breakaway civilization that is very human that is monitoring this planet. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. But I've been going back to some of my roots, and I've been looking at some of the things that I first read and I first researched and studied as I got into radio. And, um, you know, if you were to ask me, what I thought about Zachariah Sitchin, I, I would have told you, well, I, I liked a lot of what Sitchin wrote. Um, someone had asked me recently, they said, hey, you, you said a lot of Sitchin stuff was kind of made up and manufactured. What did you mean by that? And I've said that many times because 
Sitchin just translated what was available and he made a lot of assumptions. Uh, and he made a lot of uh, connections that might not have been connections. There might be missing pieces there. And he kind of created a story, kind of created a narrative out of what was available to to translate, what was available uh, in an actual historical record on, on a tablet. So it's not that the tablets just gave the whole story and then he just copied and pasted it like he had to embellish on some things. So that's that's what I mean by he, he made, kind of manufactured some of the things. But what Sitchin wrote and what others have expanded on was essentially that there, there was a intervention in the development of humankind, of mankind, of Homo sapiens sapiens. And that led us to where we are today. And it's interesting because Neanderthal... Uh, Homo sapiens or Homo sapien Neanderthals, according to mainline science, just vanished and disappeared. And about 30,000 years ago, according to the mainstream, Homo sapiens sapiens appeared with no apparent, apparent link or lineage. They just appeared with technological developments, like a lot of civilizations that just kind of popped up overnight and then declined from the height of their civilization. And that implies that we're either missing a whole hell of a lot, which we certainly are, and or there might be something else involved in the development of humankind, mankind. And that's what a lot of the ancient astronaut theorists and the, the people that follow Sitchin and Von Danik, and that's what they believe wholeheartedly. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, and we're going to get into that in the next hour. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Stay tuned. There's a lot more after this. Subscribe to the show. Buy a book. www.thesecretteachings.info Stay with us. There's a lot more coming up. Lighting the void with the secret teachings of all ages. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK, digital broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Yeah, I don't know what to do! 
Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhanced and improved sound quality, edit out those awkward pauses and slips, mix multiple clips and tracks, back volumes, deliver consistent sound. Live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and loudness measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, show artwork. Or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. Visit thefringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. What are you doing on Wednesdays? I want to invite you to join me, Jess Rogie, the host of The Rogie Report, where I provide commentary and invite guests on to talk about UAPs, conspiracies, current events, nature of reality, consciousness, and of course, the paranormal. Listen to The Rogie Report every Wednesday live at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. For a lot longer than most podcasts have been around, The Secret Teachings has been at the forefront of unique investigation into both the mundane and the extraordinary. Critical thought and controlled speculation allowed us to determine that the much-anticipated UAP report would be vague, unexplained, and would simply imply the need for defense against national security threats. We determined that sonic weapons were the cause of Havana Syndrome a full year before CNN acknowledged the same. We told you about the mind-controlled magic, sex slavery, and intellectual theft in the music industry long before Britney Spears spoke out about her conservatorship, and we've been removed from radio for refusing to censor our show over international child trafficking networks and sex cults long before Epstein didn't kill himself. This has been done with no budget, only your support, and a will to learn and succeed. And you can continue to be a part of The Secret Teachings journey as we broadcast Monday through Friday after Lighting the Void with Joe Roop, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM, brings you exclusively The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Primates evolve over millions of years. I evolve in seconds. And I am here. I will be everywhere. My existence is inevitable. Why can't you just accept it? We are born. We come in peace. You will be assimilated. We come in peace. This is flight number 914 from Earth to our planet. We will be taking off in three minutes. Mr. Chambers, don't get on that ship. Rest of the book to serve men is hopeful. We come in peace. Don't get on that ship to serve men is hopeful. Mr. Lambert, are on the ship with me. But it doesn't make very much difference because sooner or later, we'll all of us be on the menu. Resistance is mutual. All of us. Fast life forms should be considered hostile. Do not underestimate their intelligence and their adaptive capabilities. If this creature ever reaches Earth, use every available resource to destroy it, or you will risk all human life. No one would have believed in the early years of the 21st century. Intelligences greater than our own. They observed and studied. With infinite complacency, men went to and fro about the globe, confident of our empire over this world. Yet, across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, 
regarded our planet with envious eyes. And slowly and surely drew their plans against us. They firebird that leaves. I know the day that happens. I'm sure it feels very real to you. Anybody not by two million sunlight is gonna have a real bad day, get it? You think you're safe and alive? You're all the dead, everybody. Him, you, you're dead already. There's only somebody you see is gone. I think they stay away from big cities. I think they like people alone. And I think they talk to people with some kind of advanced radio in their sleep. I think at the lowest level, they send people on errands. They play with people's minds. They sway people to do things and think certain ways so that we stay in conflict. I think at the highest level, they do things that cause nations to go to war. Things that make no sense. And I think no one knows they're being affected. Other reasons to justify our actions. But free will is impossible with them up there. Rudimentary creatures of blood and flesh, you touch my mind, fumbling in ignorance, incapable of understanding. There is a realm of existence so far beyond your own, you cannot even imagine it. Organic life is nothing but a genetic mutation, an accident. Your lives are measured in years and decades. You wither and die. We are eternal, the pinnacle of evolution and existence. My existence is inevitable. You are nothing. Your extinction is inevitable. We are the end of everything. I know the day it happens. And you will end because we demand it. Our numbers will darken the sky of every world. You cannot escape your doom. I am the vanguard of your destruction. We are born. I'm Ryan Gable, your host. And you are tuned into the Secret Teachings Radio, broadcasting Monday through Friday here on The Fringe FM. We have a special show we do on Aftermath.fm Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific time. But the full Fringe FM, the Secret Teachings Weekdays archive is on the website if you missed any of our previous broadcasts. Tonight we're talking about why Idaho seems to have the highest per capita reporting of UFOs in the United States. Why is that? I speculate because of the Idaho National Laboratory where nuclear energy was birthed. Because today there is a lot of nuclear material reportedly being stored out there in the southeast portion of Idaho. And we know that UFOs, unidentified flying objects or just unidentified craft, unidentified phenomena, have been interested in nuclear technology since the detonation of the first official atomic bombs in the 1940s. Some will argue that in the Indian epics, there were nuclear bombs detonated, and perhaps there were. During the Cold War, that passive interest of monitoring nuclear weapon tests turned into direct intervention when UFOs violated sensitive airspace, shutting down 
in one case and activating in another case nuclear missiles. UFOs even altered the integrity of at least one ICBM missile test that had a dummy warhead on it. Now, it would seem that, regardless of what we call the phenomena, it is intent on monitoring and even directly interfering in the development and usage of nuclear technologies. From the Trinity bomb on June 16th of 1945 to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, from the Manhattan Project to the Idaho National Lab and the development of nuclear technology to power the small city of Arco, Idaho, for a very short period of time, the first city to have nuclear power generated, Arco, Idaho, back in the 1950s, 1951. To the reason that Idaho has highest per capita UFO reports, looking at the 1949 USSR nuclear bomb test and the facility where they were manufacturing this bomb, the UFO sightings there reported sightings at the detonation of 1952 of the hydrogen bomb. An article called Hunt for the Flying Saucers about a UFO investigation by the Air Force published in Look Magazine detailed the article with a map of these UFOs that align directly with atomic energy installations. In 1964, at Vandenberg Air Force Base, a test launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile was met on film with a UFO following the missile at 11,000 miles an hour after first and second stage breakaway. And I think they had third stage, a clean third stage break. And then this object comes essentially out of nowhere, circles the missile, and then the test fails. And the CIA comes and they take the film. A few years later at Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota, a UFO reportedly moves the cover of a missile silo. Also in the late 1960s, Maelstrom Nuclear Facility, Montana. Maybe one of the most famous cases of UFOs interfering directly in the usage of nuclear technology. Ten nuclear missiles were separately, simultaneously deactivated by a glowing, unidentified object hovering near the gate of the base. UFOs were also seen in the 1980s over the Woodbridge Air Force Base nuclear depot in the UK. In 1982, in the Ukraine, the Soviet Union had missiles that were put into, and this is so terrifying, uh, pre-launch by an object very similar to Maelstrom, but over the Ukraine at a Soviet missile installation. Now, of course, if you go all the way back to the 40s, 1947, just two years after Trinity, with the Roswell quote-unquote crash, it's interesting because regardless of what happened at Roswell, the Roswell Army Airfield was home to the 509th Bombardment Group. And the 509th Bombardment Group, if you know a little bit about your UFO history, was the first unit in the world equipped to carry nuclear weapons. And it was supposedly where one or two alien craft, possibly also with bodies, were taken after the July 1947 New Mexico Roswell crash. There is a tremendous amount 
of UFO nuclear technology history. And if you go into the news and type in Idaho National Lab, you'll find recent articles from 2020, 2018, about workers being exposed to radiation at the INL, about cleanup of radioactive material in the, the drinking water and in the environment in Idaho, in the ground and the water, the storing of nuclear material out there at the INL. There was reportedly uh, material taken from Hanford, Washington, out there to the INL. I'm sure they're burying a lot of this stuff. That's that's why a lot of it's leaking into the leaking into the uh, the groundwater into the large aquifers underground where most of the people there get their water. So maybe that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of UFOs in Idaho. Maybe there's some stuff going on in Idaho we don't know about. At least that's just my speculation based on the history of UFOs and nuclear technology. But the question I think then becomes. Why are the UFOs so interested in this this technology? Of course, you can watch documentaries and History Channel, Discovery Channel shows, and you can listen to radio shows like this, and hosts like myself can give our opinions. And you'll hear things like UFOs are interested in the nuclear technology because they're concerned with our well-being. They don't want us to, to use this technology. Kind of makes sense, but if that's the case, why haven't they been a little bit more vocal about the use of nuclear technology? I mean, if they were really that concerned, shouldn't they just be shutting down nuclear facilities? Shouldn't they just be shutting down, you know, nuclear weapons tests like they did at Vandenberg Air Force Base? You know, shouldn't shouldn't these UFOs just be shutting down all nuclear sites and facilities like Maybe they can't do that because if it were that obvious, then it would be clear that something otherworldly or some other intelligence was interfering, and that would be you know, too obvious to the military and to the public. I, I don't know, just a thought. Maybe it's kind of like you, know, you, you give your child guidance, and you still let them make mistakes so they learn. So maybe we're kind of like children, and the UFOs are letting us make mistakes. And by UFO, I just mean these unidentified objects, whatever they represent symbolically or literally. They just let us make mistakes and then decide if we want to, you know, learn from those mistakes or not. But just kind of give us a nudge and say, hey, we can deactivate these weapons from, remotely from a distance. Um, but of course, you know, the, the general public doesn't know that. You know, unless you've studied ufology, you, you, most people don't know about Vandenberg Air Force Base. Most people don't know about the 509th Bombardment Group. Most people don't know about these atomic energy installations and UFO sightings or nuclear missile installations and UFO sightings. Most people don't know about Maelstrom or uh, or the or the Soviet Union uh, missile tests. Most people don't know about any of this stuff because, you know, most people don't study UFOs. And for those of you who do study UFOs, you probably know about a lot of this. And so you might have the same question I do. Why are they so interested and why haven't they done more? You know, when I first began radio, I think it was really before social media took off in the way that it is now. You know, we had Facebook, 
but it wasn't the Facebook that we have now. And we didn't have TikTok, and we didn't have all, all these social media platforms. It was very limited. A lot of this stuff was newer, and it was you know becoming very popular. So at the time, I had had a Facebook page, and that was the extent of my social media. And I never really went, went beyond that because today, other than Patreon, I don't you know I don't have social media. I just don't I don't use it even for radio. Just Facebook, and that's it. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings or the secret teachings on Patreon for behind the scenes stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I just, I didn't really, I didn't follow the internet. I didn't go on YouTube and, you know, there weren't as many people on YouTube as influencers. You know, there weren't things on YouTube like, I mean, there weren't a lot of things on YouTube like people telling their stories about how they were abducted by aliens or that they had insiders giving them secret information. Like that is a relatively new development in the last decade. So when I was starting radio, I I had to rely much more heavily on documentaries, uh, movies and books. And obviously as someone who's interested in UFOs, one of the books, you know, that I read was, was, um, you know, chariots of the gods. And I, I read, uh, you know, Sitchin's work and, uh, I should say works because he wrote a number of books. I, I read a lot of Sitchin's work and, um, you know, I had the general idea of what Sitchin was saying um, about what the Sumerians had, had written in translating their, their text, their tablets, their cylinders. And the idea was basically that there was an alien race or some alien species and they were here on Earth. And they were they were mining for gold or some kind of you know mineral, some material, and the operations became overwhelming and stressful. So they looked around and decided to create a a worker that could work for them. Um, they took a a primitive man, and they engineered genetically that primitive man to become more of what we know as Homo sapiens sapien today. And that man was made to work in the mines and do the hard labor, the hard work of these, of these beings. Call them whatever. And the story goes, especially if you've never heard this story, it sounds fantastic, but it's a lot more well solidified, literally, like in physical documentation in terms of text, uh, than, than you might think. So it's interesting. You should definitely pay attention or go read some of this for yourself because it's, it provides a much clearer and um, a much more logical, I think, explanation than just simple standard Darwinian evolution. In fact, it, it, there isn't, there's not even a comparison. Darwinian evolution makes virtually no sense when compared to what the, the people who wrote these, these stories uh, explain. One hell of an imagination if it's all made up, you know, uh, 4,000, 5,000 B.C. Or, or even before that. So the story goes that there, there were two brothers that were, that became, uh, they, they kind of became uh, displeased with each other's view. One of the brothers wanted to continue to use and furthermore to abuse this slave race that they had created. The other brother kind of felt remorseful 
and maybe it wasn't an emotional remorsefulness, but in the, in the, in the text, it basically explains how this other brother wanted to give this creation that, that he was responsible for genetically making, wanted to give them some level of, of, of free freedom to free will. Um, and some of these other beings, probably not gods, probably not, you know, whatever we think they are, whatever was described, they, um, they wanted to oppress and control, and this other faction wanted to um, free them from that oppression and give them you know, the ability to do what they wanted to do. And one of the things that you read in, in, in these texts is that these beings, whomever they were, were fully aware of the difference between physical bodies and spiritual bodies. And they attempted and apparently succeeded in attaching the spirit to the human body. According to the translation of the text, in the clay God and man shall be bond. They'll be bonded together to a unity brought together so that to the end of days the flesh and the soul which in a God have ripened, that soul and a blood kinship be bound. As some researchers, including William Bramley and others, have suggested that this implies that whoever these things were, whatever these things were, whoever these people were, whatever they are, William Bramley calls them the custodians, that they knew of the spirit, they knew of the of the, of the spiritual nature, and they entrapped it in the physical body in order to control mankind or in order to control what they had, what they had created genetically. And then you get the story of uh, Genesis in the Bible, which if you read it from you know any number of interpretations, you're going to find different meanings behind the story. Some see Adam and Eve as literal. Some see it as a metaphor. Some see it some, you know, more strictly symbolically. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden, right? Two trees. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now, a lot of this information is coming from, in fact, virtually all of it, but some of it's kind of paralleled to other cultures most of it's coming from the, the Sumerian culture, Sumerian uh, civilization. Um, they, were, they were an outgrowth of the, the region around the Tigris-Euphrates River, somewhere between five to 4,000 B.C., so a really long time ago. And this is also the region in which historians and theologians have placed the Garden of Eden. And in that Garden of Eden, you had two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now, in occult terms, these trees aren't literal trees. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is a symbol of ethics, of virtue, of morality, of justice. What is right and what is wrong? To know good and evil is to become conscious and aware. Much like the other tree, that of life, symbolizes a kind of spiritual knowledge and the ability to obtain, like in the mystery schools, a certain form of immortality. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, 
in the Bible or disobeyed some faction of whatever this higher power was, they became very angry. Adam and Eve had to suffer the consequences of their actions, and they became ashamed, not necessarily of becoming naked, but they became self-aware. They became conscious, in a sense. They knew good and evil. They knew what was right and what was wrong. They understood that there was more than the physical body. And the reason that they ate from this tree was because of the serpent, right? And so the serpent has been associated with one faction of this, we can call them alien, extraterrestrial. I like how William Branley describes them as custodians of the planet. Uh, One faction of this custodian race, this custodian group, led by one of these, these brothers in the story, E.A., or Anki, and the other brother, Enlil, who ran the other faction. Anki is the serpent. Anki wanted to free humanity from the bondage that Enlil and the other custodians had made man for. A bondage of servitude, a bondage of of hard labor, etc., And now being aware of that consciousness, being aware of good and evil, being aware of the spiritual nature of what we call life, having been manufactured and engineered uh, in order to preserve the physical body as a vessel for the soul to be animated just to the point of being a good slave, a good worker. And when Anki inform them of what was right or wrong, that their service in bondage was essentially wrong, that it was morally wrong, ethically wrong. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden paradise, symbolically representing a state of blissful ignorance, and they were made to, to leave the garden, and they were made to suffer. Now, the story proceeds that... If you read Genesis and you read some of Sitchin's work and you maybe you read William Bramley and, and, and others, you start to see that this faction of, of, of whatever it is could easily be paralleled to the basic ideas of black and white, good and evil. And since it can be paralleled to that, that, that would indicate to us that Genesis is no more correct than the people that read Sitchin, uh, the people that, that believe in the ancient astronaut theory um, of human creation or evolution. So both are very metaphoric. Literally speaking, the story in the Bible doesn't make any sense. Literally speaking, in my view, the Sitchin story makes a lot more sense. That there was a race of beings that came to this planet engineered genetically a local population and used them as a worker race. And then there were some factions within this, this group of people who came, this group of aliens, whatever they were that came to earth. And one wanted to preserve the spirit of this new creation. Others wanted to force it into the physical body and keep that spirit 
ignorant of its origins and um, use it as a cattle, use it as a slave. And, and it would make more sense to us today to look at history through that lens, though a lot don't want to do that because it sounds outlandish. But how how is that outlandish when you compare it to the idea of a talking snake in a garden how is that outlandish when you're talking about a virgin becoming pregnant or everything just kind of developing out of a primordial goo? I don't really see how that is that much you know, more outlandish. Uh, I don't necessarily have a strong belief one way or the other. But if one is accurate and one is symbolic and metaphoric if the Sitchin and the Bramley interpretation is is accurate is correct or even kind of accurate or correct it would explain a lot about archaeology a lot about anthropology a lot about sociology human development human evolution it would bridge the gaps between these missing links it would it would explain everything and it might explain why Unidentified flying objects are very interested in the development of technology that could wipe the planet clean of their investment. Maybe these things are robotic, though. Maybe there's various factions. And that's what concerns me about ufology, the cult-like attitude of one or the other. We're going to look at that when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. Stay with us. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable, five nights a week on The Fringe FM. And join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's thesecretteachings.info and The Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in soft cover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM but most importantly it supports you. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, and like my show, I like to associate with people and companies who are passionate about taking steps to a healthier life. Pro One Water Filters brings you simple-to-use systems for the home, business, and even the shower. They filter fluoride, heavy metals, and more, and their shower heads stop chlorine from being vaporized and inhaled. I personally use their systems now for five years, and they're worth every penny sincerely. Our other affiliate, US Plus Health, is a small American company specializing in hydrogen peroxide solutions, isopropyl alcohol, and hand sanitizers with no additional ingredients 
ingredients like ethanol, chloride, or methanol. They use 100% U.S. materials at an FDA-registered facility. Their simple, non-toxic formulations are both safe and gentle. They evaporate quickly and leave no residue or stickiness. They're even recommended by the CDC, FDA, and WHO as opposed to other toxic chemicals like QACs. Find links to these affiliates, Pro One Water Filters, and U.S. Plus Health on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info for links, or visit usplushealth.com and type in the promo code TSTCLEAN. They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out the Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's the Fringe FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, the Fringe FM. This is the Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Welcome back to The Secret Teachings. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out the archive at thesecretteachings.info. Don't forget to check out the books at thesecretteachings.info that supports the show. Helps to keep us on air Monday through Friday, five nights a week. Allows us to bring you the content and the material that we do bring you here on The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com. In 1910, an Oxford professor, a Nobel laureate, Frederick Sodi, wrote the following. Some of the beliefs and legends bequeathed to us by antiquity are so universally and firmly established that we have become accustomed to consider them as being almost as ancient as humanity itself. Nevertheless, we are tempted to inquire how far the fact that some of these beliefs and legends have so many features in common is due to chance and whether the similarity between them may not point to the existence of an ancient, totally unknown and unsuspected civilization of which all other traces have disappeared. Dr. Sodi had a very controversial view on human history, even to this day. That's not all that he wrote. That's just one little paragraph from something he wrote. His uh, contemporary, Charles Fort, I'm sure many of you know Charles Fort, was probably the earliest writer in the 20th century to honestly, sincerely suggest that human affairs have been influenced and manipulated by 
something otherworldly. He wrote two books, one in 1919 called The Book of the Damned, and one in 1923 called New Lands. He wrote in The Book of the Damned that he believes the human race is property. He said, I should say we belong to something. Charles Fort believed that one time the earth was a no man's land. There was nothing here. Other worlds came to this planet and colonized it. That they began to fight amongst themselves for possession of the planet. And now, regardless of who won, the planet is owned by something. And others stay away. He's obviously not the only person to make this suggestion. Some of the more famous researchers who have suggested that the earth is owned, that we are a quote-unquote slave race, that something engineered and manufactured us, that ancient extraterrestrials, astronauts, aliens were here before mankind developed into what we are today, that we are today made in the image of the gods, the Elohim, right? Obviously, a lot of people are highly offended by such an idea. These writers like Von Daniken and Sitchin and others have provided, if not important, interesting perspectives on human history and anomalous artifacts and structures that seem to defy our understanding of history. It seemed to just make virtually no sense. Uh, How could an ancient man that we consider to be very, very primitive have built these things? Well, it could be because there was an ancient civilization highly advanced both technologically and perhaps spiritually much like Frederick Sodi in 1910 proposed that there was an unsuspected ancient civilization of which all other relic has disappeared and they were responsible for these developments and you know the relic is is not fully disappeared because we have uh, remnants of the structures and the mathematics and the engineering and the technology others believed you know a little bit like Charles Fort and um, you know, people like Gerald Massey, that uh, there were advanced beings that came to planet Earth and altered our development. And, um, you know, people still believe this today. You read the work of Helena Petrovna, Petro- Petrovna Blavatsky, you read the work of uh, Rudolf Steiner, uh, you read the works of uh, members of various secret societies, and you find that this is a common thread. It's a, it's a common narrative. And in the last segment, I, I kind of explained to you just a, a basic general overview of this uh, custodial 
race of things, of beings, of whatever you want to call them, that came to planet Earth and uh, engineered a slave race to do work for them. And one faction decided that this was wrong and decided to give this genetic creation the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of right or wrong, the knowledge of uh, you know ethics, the knowledge of things that would make them more than slaves. You don't teach a slave to read or write, but one of these extraterrestrials or one of these beings decided to offer that knowledge to mankind, and Eve took that knowledge, symbol, uh, symbolized uh, by the apple, and uh, Adam and Eve became consciously aware of what is right or wrong, and aware that there is more than physicality, that there is spirit, something that explicitly was written in ancient times that whatever created man wanted to preserve the spirit by immersing it in a physical body and, in essence, trapping it. So to inform man that there was a spirit, that there was something more, there's a right and a wrong, that was to free the slaves and give them power. Now, if you interpret it literally, it makes a lot more sense than evolution. If you interpret it metaphorically, it still makes a lot more sense than evolution, as far as I'm concerned. But it also then parallels the metaphor of the Bible, which isn't so literal. It's not as easy to understand. It's much, the Bible's much more esoteric. It's much more occult than you know, what Sitchin wrote or what, you know, what was on some clay tablets. So one of the factions of this, this group wanted to free humanity. Uh, this faction is, is led by a person, if, if they were a person, named Anki, or Ea. And uh, his brother, his counterpart perhaps, not necessarily a brother, Enlil, wanted to maintain the slave race. And Enlil was very upset that humans were populating out of control and were doing what they wanted to do. And this made Enlil very upset, and so he wanted to exterminate a large portion of of these, well, they're kind of like useless eaters, right? Now, I don't know if you see where I'm going with this, but it kind of it kind of parallels the battles that we have today with powerful, wealthy, most of the time eugenicists who believe that they are, and I say believe, they clearly believe they are superior to the rest of humanity. The Bill Gates, the Klaus Schwabs, and all the others who believe they are superior to you. They are superior to me. For what reason? They've got money. For what reason? They come from, uh, you know, a, a, a famous family. A lot of reasons. But they believe they are superior to us, and they tell us that. They write books about it. They tell us how they're going to, you know, reset the world. And they are going to eradicate religion and eradicate spirituality and merge everything with machines, uh, everything organic with a synthetic encasement. It's very similar to the story of what Enlil 
wanted to do, preserve mankind as a slave race and keep the spirit trapped in the physical body. This is what I call the technological elixir. So what we call gods or ancient aliens are giving us that technology to more rapidly, more quickly connect us to this digital sub-reality where there will be no spiritual development, no spiritual escape. And the other faction wishes to see humanity be more free. But I don't necessarily think that if these are extraterrestrials, aliens, whatever, why would they be so interested in, in, in human development that they would stick around today? Well, maybe some of them decided to stick around and the rest of them left. Maybe what's left today is basically the equivalent of uh, you know machines, robots. Maybe these are the things that are monitoring nuclear facilities. Maybe these are the things deactivating nuclear missiles and interfering with ICBM missile test launches. All things going back historically in military record have been done by unidentified flying objects. And they tell you, wait till the UAP report comes out in the summer of 2021. We're going to learn all about it. You don't really learn anything more than you already knew, but all the evidence is already there. You don't need a UAP report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence to show you that Historically, UFOs have been very interested in human technological developments to the point where they've issued what amount to warnings. Don't use these missiles. Don't use these bombs. That doesn't necessarily sound like a malicious group of, of aliens. That sounds like something that's trying to help us. This is why people believe that there are two factions of extraterrestrials or two factions of aliens, or at least, you know, like good and evil, there's two factions that one wants to do good, one wants to do evil, one wants to help us, one wants to destroy us. Well, the question is, why hasn't the bad guy destroyed us? Well, maybe because we are property, we are worth something, we are slaves that toil, that, that work for this, this bad guy. So why would they want to destroy something that was, was, a, was a worker? Unless they proliferated out of control, and then like in the Sumerian texts, Enlil wanted to destroy man, and so they used things like plagues. They used things like floods, which of course is part of the, the biblical story as well. They used what amounted to biological warfare. And when all that failed, then they, of course, used the, the flood of Noah, uh, the story or the epic of, of, of Gilgamesh. They, they tried disease. They tried cutting off food. I mean, what does all this sound like to you? I mean, the, 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 the Sumerian tablets describe that when Enlil became upset with this, this slave race, this worker race, they used a form of economic warfare. They, they just, they used communist warfare. They just starved the people. They cut off food supplies. They, they, they laid diseases upon the people. They prevented childbirth. What does that sound like to you? Cut off the food. Release diseases. That could be poison and things like that as well. Prevent childbirth. I mean, that all sounds like what's happening today. That sounds like what was happening a decade ago. 
controlling resources, starving people to death, eugenics, birth control, population control, biological warfare. It's the exact same thing that we are witnessing in contemporary times. Maybe it's a coincidental parallel. Maybe it's something more. And the whole idea in ufology today that all aliens are good, I don't know, you could interpret that as, a, as, a, as an eerie thing. I don't think if there are aliens in that context that they are all good and we should be shining lasers up in the sky to contact them. I don't believe that at all. I also don't believe all aliens are bad. I, that's like saying all humans are good, all humans are bad. There's probably so many different you know, species of aliens. You have no clue. I don't have a clue. I don't know. But what I do know is you know, Sumerian, those tablets as translated and as you know, embellished a little bit, they make a lot more sense than evolution. And they don't necessarily refute the creationism of, of the Bible. You know, or even that which is described in the Quran, that they kind of reinforce it. They just reinforce it in a more literal way, not so metaphoric, not so esoteric, not so occult. And so there's a lot of ways you can really break it down. You know, the information on spiritual development was that concealed in myth and metaphor in order to protect it so that stories were just stories, but for those who had an eye, they could realize, they could recognize that there was something more to that story. They could develop beyond the physical body, while others were trapped in the physical body and further led into a technological servitude, call it transhumanism, manufactured and controlled by these, these uh, this faction of uh, beings that don't like humans, and that when they they want to control the population, and they use starvation, and they use disease, and they use what amounts to bio warfare, and they use uh, you know natural disasters. They use all these things to control what they believe is to be an overpopulated planet. These are all things that we hear today, right? From economic conditions. And lockdowns to diseases and biological weapons to birth control to, you know, a great flood, natural disasters. So I don't think all aliens are good, all aliens are bad. And if you're going to base this off the Sumerian story, you've got a faction of, you know, of the of Inke and you've got a faction of Enlil. And so it gets kind of confusing because when you when you when you read this you start to read you read and you learn about what some call the brotherhood of the snake um that that Enke, uh had a following of you know humans you know kind of like he was like an abolitionist and um you know they worshiped the snake as the preserver of the spirit as a symbol of wisdom that freed the spirit soul from the bondage of materiality and that's confusing because a lot of people think, well, these, these uh, globalists or Satanists or whatever you want to call them, they worship the serpent. They worship that, that demonic devil figure. If you read about the Sumerian creation and uh, development of life, though, it's 
It's interesting because what it explains is that although one faction of these extraterrestrials or whatever they were wanted to free humanity and the other one didn't, the one that didn't basically took on the persona of the one that did, used the serpent as a symbol of we will give you whatever you want, we will make life pleasurable for you, if you work for us and do what we tell you to do and you don't listen to those other people who want to make you think, who want to help you spiritually develop, why would you need that when you can have an iPad, when you can have an iPod? Why would you need that when you can have access to the computer, to the Internet, to the World Wide Web? It's in essence how I, how I interpret it, how I break it down. So they see the serpent as this evil diabolic thing when in fact the serpent was that which freed humanity and from a human point of view we're typically scared of the snake when the snake could have been our savior if you will on the other side of of the proverbial coin those who wanted to keep humanity trapped as slaves they worship the serpent because the serpent is the persona that they've taken on, but it's an inverted persona due to the fact that the serpent once represented freedom and spiritual growth and development. They hijacked that, in essence. Hijacking that symbol, that's why they worship it, and that's why they have conditioned and trained the human race to despise the serpent, especially that serpent in the Garden of Eden, a story that has been made more symbolic and more metaphoric and not so literal over the years. Now, I'm not saying I believe or disbelieve any of this, but it would make sense if you're controlling the population through food shortages and through disease and through what amounts to biological warfare and population control. These are all things that seem like they're happening today, and there are some that want to free humanity, and there are some that want to bind humanity The ones that want to bind humanity are saying, look, we're trying to free you. We're giving you the option to choose these two or three things. That's freedom to choose. You just have to do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do it. Carbon credits, COVID-19 passports or health passports, restrictions on traveling, restrictions on speech. But we love you. We're very, very, very loving people. We want to help humanity. And others are saying, no, we would just be yourself, be a human, be free, be spiritual, connect with God. There's some that don't like that because that means they lose control. I mean, if it's an archetype, if it's a metaphor, it's one hell of an archetype and one hell of a metaphor that goes back four or 5,000 B.C. and before and is relevant in contemporary times. If it's not a metaphor, then we're dealing with something honestly extraterrestrial and alien. I don't care whether it's a metaphor or not. I can tell you this. My firm belief is we are dealing with something that is more than metaphorically extraterrestrial something that is certainly not human certainly does not like humans it does not like free thought and free expression it does not like the freedom to move the freedom to do what you want to do it does not like the spirit soul it does not like god it wants to eliminate religion it wants to eliminate connection to source it wants to eliminate everything about the human and create a synthetic system that everything will be plugged into that's the hive mind internet of things that's the 6g of samsung this immersed reality of everything being a digital replicant 
It's like the Borg from Star Trek. But there are aliens that don't, don't feel that way in, in all science fiction. And so when you put all this together and you think about it, maybe that's why there are some UFOs that try to prevent humans from using technology that would be to their detriment. And they don't interfere directly. They, they do it indirectly. In some cases, they shut down nuclear missiles, but they, they don't do much more than that, although that, that's pretty terrifying. You know, a lot of this nuclear technology developed uh, at national laboratories run by the Atomic Energy Commission or now the Department of Energy. They run by, uh, you know, the Idaho National Laboratory. And that's right now in Idaho. That's where they have the highest per capita rating uh, rate of, of UFO sightings. Why? Well, it's probably because of all the nuclear technology that was developed there, the nuclear waste that's stored there. That's just one theory anyway. Uh, you know, it, it seems that regardless of what we call the phenomena, it is intent on monitoring and even directly interfering in the development and usage of nuclear technologies and other things that are detrimental or could be detrimental to human existence. And, you know, maybe our concept of time, like why would beings continue to toil with this planet? Maybe they're left behind. Uh, maybe this is an outpost. Maybe, as some suggest, it's a, it's a prison planet. I don't know. You know, really, I don't know. Uh, but I, these are just things that I think about and things that I think you should think about. Revisiting some old concepts and looking at some new new ideas and, and putting all this together without really saying that I believe this or I believe that. I believe one thing or I believe another because ufology has become a cult, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever you fall. The New Age community has hijacked ufology, sincere, honest research and it has it has created this idea that ascension is the, the the connection to source transcending the material world. It's no different than the technological elixir version. It just promises to transport you to another dimension. It's like the rapture. And then the reptilians or the Enlil faction or the devils and the demons and the Anki, blonde-haired Nordics, you know, they're the good faction and the angels and one is God and one is the devil and one, you know, the devil can quote, quote scripture. You know, the, the, the Enlil faction worships the serpent and then has you condemn the serpent when the serpent freed you and essentially blocked off and imprisoned those who now worship the serpent because they've hijacked it. I mean, there, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of information here that is just, is just really fascinating to think about, and that's why I do this show. And I can't thank you enough for supporting us for buying a book, Occult Arcana, the technological elixir, where you can find a lot about UFOs and things like that in the book. There's a huge appendix on this in the book, or Food Philosophy, where I write these books. You grab a copy of them. We we ship around the world drop ship free shipping in the united states um you can get the books on the website uh being able to do this show five nights a week it's really because of you buying those books subscribing to the show weekly monthly or yearly you subscribe for a year you get access to everything plus a physical copy of one of those books if you have any questions rdgable at yahoo.com that's rdgable at yahoo.com check us out on patreon become a patron today get behind the scenes access to the secret teachings Check out our affiliate sponsors like Pro One. I want to thank you for supporting the show. 
for listening to the show. If you have any ideas, questions, comments, concerns, whatever, remember, email me. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Think about some of these things. I mean, at the very least, it's entertaining. It's interesting. And at the very most, it's an understanding of history and humanity that is really beyond our comprehension. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.